Just feeling kind of full this morning. How about you guys? Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? So we're in a series we're calling Investing in Forever, and we're talking about those ideas of, of just looking down the road, looking longer term than just what's going to happen to me tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade, whatever, as we kick off our second hundred years in the life of this church, The Bridge. Uh, our key verse throughout the series is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. For those of you that are new, let's get into it. For those of you that are back, let's rehearse it. Here we go. It's on the screens. Here we go. Read, read it with me. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, uh, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Is this eternal? No, it's not, uh, and it's temporary. You can see it, but it's temporary. The things that are eternal, in fact, are still unseen. So the key quote for the passage that I want you to remember, and you may want to put it on social media, is everybody ends up somewhere. Can I get an amen in the house? Very few people end up somewhere on purpose. And we're trying to make sure that we end up somewhere on purpose. Hashtag that. Put it on Facebook or tweet it or whatever you want to do. Let's put it out there because it's an important message for all of us. Today, we're asking the question about uh, decision-making. We're just talking about this idea of how do we go about making decisions. So let me just start with a little survey. How many of you, uh, kind of the difference between a risk-taker and a security seeker? How many of you would say you are risk-takers? Can I see your hand? God bless that hand. Come on, be honest with me. Risk-takers in the house? How many are security seekers? I just want to stay in my comfort zone. Oh, that's scary. Oh, <laughs> how many, how many risk-takers are married to security seekers? Can I get that one? <laughs> It just seems to be the, the thing. I mean, let's be honest, guys. We love risk-taking. 150,000 people shoot down the Colorado River every year, even though several people die every year. We love that stuff. We just want somebody else to do it. Right? One of the big things on Facebook is, is we love that guy. You've seen him, right? There's 30 million hits on this thing. This guy that's walking around 30 stories up on a girder and doing all kinds of stupid stuff. I mean, every, we just sit there and stare at that, and we can't take our eyes, and we don't want to see it, but we do, ah, you know. You go to the circuit, and you see the trapeze artist, and he does a triple, double, triple, quadruple twisting thingy, and you're hoping the catcher catches him, and you go, oh, that's awesome. He's awesome. Oh, he's crazy. Do it again. <laughs> we love risk-taking. We just want somebody else to do it, Right? But here's what I need you to hear. Lean into this for just a minute. Here's what I need you to hear. There is no way you can read the Gospels and not see that God calls us to a risk-taking kind of life. Just read the words of Jesus alone. Get your Bible out with red letters and then just read the red letters. You'll see it. Let me give you one example from Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 24 and 5. Here we go. Jesus said to the disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will finally find true life. Does that sound easy, comfortable, laid back to you? It doesn't to me. It sounds risky. And I'm not talking about crazy risk. I'm not talking about foolish risk. I'm not talking about, you know, the kind of risk you took on Saturday night when you were a kid and you wish you hadn't. I'm not talking about those. Hey, let's climb the water tower and see what it looks like from up there. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. 
I'm talking about the calculated risk where you look at it honestly and you say, is there basis for this decision? Yeah, there's going to be some faith. I'm going to have to step out by faith to, to believe somehow that this is going to work out. But there's enough reason to believe that it stands a good chance of success and the benefit outweighs the cost. So here we go. That's what I'm talking about. Today, uh, we want to continue our series by talking about one of Jesus' parables. Because if you were here last week, you know what we're talking about, right? This represents our life now, and this represents the rest of our lives. This is a few years, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 Boy, this one lived long, 90 years, and this is the millions and millions and millions of years that we live afterwards. Understanding that the decisions we make during this period lead up to this moment in time, and at this moment in time, there are no second chances to do it differently. And so what we're doing is we're looking at this period and asking ourselves the question, how do I go about making decisions during this period, and specifically, Today, am I a risk taker or am I a security seeker? Am I going to step out by faith or am I going to step back and just make sure that I'm comfortable with what's going on? I want to prepare you for this. So to do that today, we're going to look at a parable in the life of Jesus, probably one of the best known of the parables. If you've been in church uh, very long, you've probably heard this taught many different times from many different perspectives. I'll try not to, to take you, keep you too long, no promises, but I'll try not to. I'll let you out before second service gets here, okay? Uh, but it's a well-known uh, story. I just want to pull out three simple life lessons that I think will be helpful to us as we consider this idea of, of risk taker versus security Seeker. So let's get into it. Matthew chapter 25, you've got the Bridge NC app. You can open it up and follow along with all the notes. If you want these notes, then shoot me an email this week, info at bridgechurch.cc. We'll be glad to send you the manuscripts of, of, uh, of exactly what I'm talking to you about this morning. Uh, or maybe you brought your own Bible, you've got your own smartphone. Let's read the Scriptures together, okay? Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 and 15. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to his or to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So simple story, four main characters. Who are the main characters? First you got a rich guy, right? And then you got one guy that he gave five bags of silver to. Got another guy that he gave two bags of silver to, and then another guy that he gave one bag of silver to. Now, some of you are sitting there going, bags of silver? Uh, I'm used to that word being talents. And there are translations where the word talent is there. King James uses the word talent. There's some others. And quite frankly, I've heard sermons preached from this passage where it talks about using your talents and you ought to be serving using your talents, and that's legitimate. But the reality is the word in the Greek is talentos that literally means money. Most scholars believe that it was about $1,000. But whatever the amount of money is, it, it is money. Some translations say bags of gold. doesn't matter ultimately. It's about finances. And so the bottom line of our story is the master entrusted his assets to these three servants. And then he said, take care of it. Manage it well. I'll be back. And lest there be any mistake about it, he expected a return on his investment. He didn't get rich by sitting on his money. He expected them to be good stewards in terms of getting a return. So, again, three simple life lessons. Let's unpack those, challenge ourselves a little bit, and then we'll, uh, we'll beat the other churches to the restaurant for brunch, okay? Let's get into it. Here we go. Lesson number one, five bags of people 
get blessed for being risk takers. Five bags of people get rest, uh, get uh, uh, blessed for being risk, uh, risk takers. My mouth is not working this morning. Let's try Matthew chapter 25, verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called to give an account of how they'd used his money. Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. So the five bags of silver guy did what? He invested it, and he doubled the investment. Simple. We know the story, right? I actually, but can I tell you that I actually love this part of this story? And we kind of gloss over it sometimes. But I love this part of the story because, let's be honest, most of the stories that we hear about rich people are negative stories. You know, the rich guy is the villain. The rich guy is the evil landlord. The rich guy is the one who's been squashing uh, the, the poor guys. I mean, it's kind of the cultural norm as we watch movies and hear stories and this kind of stuff. But in this story, in Jesus' story, the five bags of guy bags of silver guy gets commended. He, he gets blessed. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, what does that have to do with us? Well, the reality is that there are a few of you sitting here right now who are five baggers. Some of you watching online, you might be five baggers. I mean, come on, let's be honest. You, you've, you've worked hard. You've made smart choices. You got a good education. You, read, you, you leveraged that education or you saw a business opportunity. You took a risk and went after it and God's blessed you and you've done well. And you're way above the norm in terms of the average income in this area. And if that's who you are, don't ever be ashamed of having succeeded. Don't have, that's one of the beauties of America is you have the freedom to go after it. Work hard and succeed. It's one of the things you ought to celebrate, not feel bad about, and hang your head down about. Jesus certainly didn't. But hear me, he did not bless you with all of that so that you could consume all of that. He blessed you with that, expecting you to invest it properly in eternity, to invest it in forever. He wanted you to keep this in perspective while he blessed you with it. In fact, Scriptures say the better you handle it, the more you get. You know what it says? Look at Matthew 25, verse 21. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so I'm going to give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So five baggers among us, nobody, you don't have to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's, you're talking about me. Just if you see yourself as, as living well above the average in this region, then you're a five bagger. And if that's who you are, then just say, okay, God's blessed me, but he didn't do it just for me to consume all this stuff. It's actually an opportunity for me uh, to please my master. And there are plenty of biblical examples of this. One of my favorites is from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 36. One of the believers was named Joseph, a Levite born in Cyprus. The apostles called him Barnabas, which means the one who encourages. Joseph owned a field, sold it, brought the money, and gave it to the apostles. Joseph was a five-bagger kind of guy. He had land in a time when very few people had uh, land and property, and, and you even had to be a Roman citizen to even own land in that time. But this guy was obviously successful and had some uh, land, but instead of consuming it himself, he actually sold it and turned it in. He gave it away. So he was wealthy and he was generous. And the result is people got blessed and he got a legacy. They called him the encourager. 2,000 years later, we're standing here talking about the guy because he was an encourager. Lots of examples in Scripture of that. Plenty of modern examples. In, in many cases, these, th these examples, they never really got to see this side of eternity where they're giving got to touch lives. They, they never got a sense of that. Um, I, I, I'm a recipient 
of the Beeson Foundation. I don't know if you knew you've ever heard of the Beeson family. The Beeson family, Miss Lucille Beeson, when she passed away, bequeathed her fortune to this Beeson Foundation that was committed to the education and training of pastors and, and ministry people around the world. She gave $168 million into the Beeson Foundation. I'm told it's worth about $200 million now. And one of the schools that, would be, that, that was blessed by the Beeson Foundation was Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where I got my doctorate. So Miss Lucille, I've never met her. She's never met me. But she's very much a part of everything I've done over the last 45 years because she understood five baggers get blessed. They celebrate that. They just don't consume it all themselves. And, of course, I keep telling the Lord that, you know, if you'd let me win Publishers Clearinghouse, $10 million, you know, I'd give five or six of it away anyway, you know. But then I remember the passage he gave to each according to his ability. So <laughs> there goes that one. Uh, ready for the second lesson? Lesson number two, <clears throat> kind of similar to the first. Two bags, <clears throat> two bags of silver people get blessed for being risk takers. Sound familiar to you? It's exactly the same as the other one. Matthew 25, 17, the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Truth is, I identify with the two-bagger more than I do the five-bagger. The two-baggers in my world are those people who, uh, you know, they have a comfortable living. They, uh, they live in a, a nice home. They drive a decent car. Uh, they, they dress well. They get to go on vacation once in a while. They go out to dinner now and then. They're, they're doing pretty well. They don't have hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars socked back somewhere. They don't have big nest eggs somewhere. But they are blessed with a comfortable lifestyle. I dare say this morning that I'm talking to a lot of two-baggers. That's probably where most of us fit in this category. So uh, before we get into the lesson for that, let me, let me give you a little side lesson on that from my, from my own life because I'm a two-bagger. There are two temptations you have to be careful about as a two-bagger, okay? Temptation number one is don't ever allow yourself to resent the five-baggers around you. Don't, don't let yourself go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves. They compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. Anytime you start comparing yourself against somebody else, whether they have more or less, you're setting yourself up for pain because if they have more, you'll get discouraged, and if they have less, you'll get proud, and either way, you lose. Just focus on what God has blessed me with and, and entrusted to me, and what am I going to do with this body of wealth that he's put into my hands? The second thing I want to make sure you don't fall into the trap of is, is don't ever look down on one-baggers. It's really easy to look around, uh, particularly in the culture we live in, to look down on somebody who doesn't have as much as we do and assume that, that it's because uh, of some inherent thing in their character. You, you know how it goes in our culture. You meet somebody new and, and you say, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, nice to meet you. I say, so what do you do for a living? I'm a doctor. You go, oh, right? You meet somebody else and, and you say, hey, how are you doing? I see you. I say, what do you do for a living? I collect garbage. Oh, just, we say the same thing. It's just kind of different. But how many of you depend on a, on a garbage collector more often than you do a doctor? 
So don't look down on somebody because they got last. doesn't necessarily mean anything about their character. It may have to do with their opportunities. It may have to do with where they were born. It may have to do with, with a whole host of circumstances around them. But, uh, but just don't, don't get prideful or discouraged. Just kind of put that stuff away and say, here's the question. God, what am I supposed to do with what you've blessed me with? In fact, let me just remind you two things. First, Jesus uh, only owned a pair of sandals and a robe. I mean, the Bible says foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was a one-bagger in the nth degree. Second thing, the master made no difference whatsoever between the five-bagger and the two-bagger when it came blessing time. No difference between the two. Exact same words, well done, good and faithful servant. That says to me that we two-baggers have the same responsibility as five-baggers do. To make the most of what God has blessed us with and to be a channel of His blessing, not a recipient of His blessing. It's not about us getting, it's about us giving. And, and the principle that I've already mentioned, I'll mention again, is that the better we uh, operate as channels, the more blessings we get. That's just how, that's just how God set the system up. Probably the only difference between two-baggers and five-baggers is that two-baggers are probably not writing big checks or selling big blocks of land and giving the proceeds or leaving $168 million in their will. We're, we're probably giving more uh, in terms of just solid, consistent biblical principle. So let's just pause for a moment. Let's just camp out for a minute on, on what those biblical principles are uh, about our giving. And let's just ask ourselves, since most of us are two-baggers, let's ask ourselves how we're doing. Let's stop and think about it a minute. I did some math this week. I was just curious about it. And, uh, and it really depends on the source that you're looking at. But, but in Wayne County, the average per household income is somewhere in the neighborhood of $40,000. Obviously, some make more, some make less. But but, you know, I saw anywhere from thirty-eight dollars to $42,000 is the average income when I did this research. So just do the math with me for a minute. If you make $40,000 a year and you work for 40 years, that means that in your lifetime you're going to earn $1.6 million. So just think about that amount of money right now. Again, some of you more, some of you less, but just kind of get that picture in your mind as we talk about some of these principles. The foundational principle is what the Bible calls a tithe. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 from the New Century Version or the North Carolina Version, whichever you prefer, says, should a person rob God? But you're robbing me. You ask, how have we robbed you, Lord? You've, you've robbed me in your offerings and the tenth of your crops. So a curse is on you because the whole nation has robbed me. Bring to the storehouse a full tenth, a tithe, of what you earn, so there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord All-Powerful. I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings that you need. Now, here, I want to pause for a minute on this one because I want to make sure you get it. I understand that there are some who will say, well, no, that's Old Testament. And, and if we say, you know, if you say everybody's got to give 10%, that's legalism. And we're not legalists. We're under grace. I get that. I understand all this stuff. There's a principle here that we can't lose, though. And that principle is simply this. It's, it's in Matthew 25, and it's in a lot of other different places as well. And that is that, that uh, the way we view the finances that God has given us determines how much he blesses us going forward. That, 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 how we view it makes it. Let me put it in perspective. 
If you have a piece of money and you go down to the bank and you make a deposit in that bank, whose money is it? Is it yours or the banker's? Everybody say, it's mine. Say it out loud. Say, it's mine. Come on. One, two, three. It's my money. Okay. If you find out that the amount of money in your account is dwindling and the banker is in Bermuda spending it, how are you going to respond? You're calling a lawyer. You're calling the cops. You're going to be bite 16 penny nails in half mad because it ain't his money. It's, come on, it's mine, right? If you find out, you get a letter from him saying, you know, I've decided I don't want you to write any more checks because I've decided I'm going to spend all of this money from now on. What are you going to do about that? Same thing. You're going to call him up and say, dude, you can't send me a letter like this because the money ain't yours. It's mine. Now, inversely, if you put money in the bank and he manages it well and that account starts to grow, what are you going to do? You're going to put more money in that bank. You can say, man, I, I like that bank because they, they got good interest rates and they, 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 they invest my money and I'm doing well in that bank. You, you guys ought to come to this bank because this bank does well. So are you getting this? Who's the owner of the account? Everything belongs to God. You, you do understand that everything you have, you, you borrowed it, used <laughs> for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And then you're going to pass it on more used to the next generation. You ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? I mean, you ever seen that? They don't exist, do they? Because it isn't ours, it's his. But here's the deal about our God, this amazing, gracious God. He says, yeah, it's, it's, it's all mine, but I love you so much. I, I wanted to bless you with this, so I'm not telling you to hold all of it for me. I'm not telling you to give 100% of it for me. I'm telling you, keep 90% of it for yourself. Just on the front end, give 10% of it back to me as a demonstration that you trust me. Give 10% of it back to me as a demonstration that you are willing to, want to invest in forever, not just consume everything today. Give 10% of it back to me up front as a demonstration that you get it, that what you decide here and here and here and here and here determines what happens for the rest of eternity. Show me that, and I will increase what you get here and here and here because you've demonstrated to me that you are a good manager of what I've blessed you with. Does that make sense? That, that's what the Scriptures teach. And so I told you last week that I love offering Fit for a King. This season we're in right now, uh, coming up actually next week, offering Fit for a King. I love this season because it puts us in a position to ask those kinds of questions and say, okay, Lord, am I really, when it comes to my finances, am I really looking through an eternal lens at what you've blessed me with? Am I looking at it through the lens of this belongs to you? You've entrusted it to me. I want to be a good manager, and I want to please you. Is that how we're looking at this? Again, 40K, over 40 years, $1.6 million, just a, an average kind of two-bagger in Wayne County can put $160,000 into the kingdom of God in a lifetime. That sounds like an investment that would reap rewards in eternity if we just understood that principle. It's not a big 
amount compared to the five baggers. They might write one check for that. But the blessing is the same for a two-bagger as it is for a five-bagger. The only question is, where's my focus, on now or on eternity? Now, that's the foundation. That's the, that's the baseline for everybody. Beyond that, the Bible talks about free will offerings, fellowship offerings, wave offerings. There's all kinds of offerings that, that we bring. The scriptures are clear. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the warehouse where the food is kept. So wherever your soul gets fed, that's the storehouse. Bring the tithe. Beyond that, you get to give the free will offerings wherever you would give them. And I would suggest to you that the bridge may be the finest place on the planet to give it to because we see lives changing around here every day, every week. We see God doing amazing kinds of things. So offering fit for a king is not just an opportunity to say, am I going to trust God with the tithe, but am I going to go beyond that point? The church of Macedonia understood what I'm trying to say to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 uh, through four, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. They gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of giving in this service to the Lord's people. They didn't give into the kingdom of God because Paul was a persuasive speaker they didn't give out of some guilt or some manipulation. They urgently pleaded for the opportunity because they understood what it meant to invest in, in forever. Frankly, if, if you think offering fit for a king is about getting your money, I suggest you put your wallet away. I'm, I'm serious when I say it. Because frankly, I'm not sure it counts in eternity if you're doing it out of guilt or manipulation or because Pastor Jim said I'm supposed to. Okay, I will. I'm going to reach into the pocket of the person beside me and give like I really want to. I mean, if that's what your idea is, it don't count. I don't think it counts. The same Paul that commended the Macedonians was also the Paul who wrote in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That Greek word actually translates hilarious. <laughs> we get to give. Because I understand what happens when I serve a gracious God and I fix my eyes on eternity, not just in, in the time of my life, but in the finances that he's blessed me with, I understand what happens and I get to tap into those blessings. And I know this is a scary subject. I know when anytime preachers start talking about this subject, there's, there's a little kind of, uh, that, you know, that everybody feels, but, but I admitted to a group of pastors not too long ago, I quit stressing over preaching on this subject a long time ago because I finally figured out that this stuff is true. This is true. Can I get personal with you for a minute? You know we were missionaries for 10 years. Twice in our lives, uh, God said, I want you to give it all away and start over. And we did. Without hesitation. Okay, maybe a little. But... <laughs> We did. On the other side of the planet, 
once when we went, and nine years later when we came back. Started up, we 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 put the furniture in our house in Chesapeake when we went there to start that church, because we had a friend that managed a jackrabbit storage facility, and he got some stuff out of the dumpster, and that's what we put in our house. And I have more today than I ever dreamed I'd have. The last time I was put in a position like this, offering fit for a king, was in Chesapeake. And, uh, and it was a fundraising campaign to build the new worship center there. And so we were all saying, okay, let's really lean into this. Let's really pray, not just the tithe, but a gift beyond the tithe. And, and so I went to Kim. As I told you last week, here's what we do. You go pray. I'll go pray. Let's come together and let's find the number. And uh, when we came back together, I said, what's the Lord telling you? Kim said, I, I don't have a number. I, the Lord just told me to trust what you say. Okay, because uh, <clears throat> the Lord's put a number in my head that uh, is a little bit, you know, my mouth is dry trying to say the number. Uh, the Lord's told me we're supposed to give $40,000. We're two baggers, not five baggers. I was making $60,000 a year at the time. So I, I believe God's told us to give $40,000 over a three-year period. And, uh, and she said, okay, if that's what you believe the Lord said, let's do it. So we took $4,000 out of savings, and we gave it in that first offering. And then I went to the bookkeeper of the church, and I said, I want you to hold $1,000 a month out of my paycheck because uh, I want to be sure by the time this three years is over that I've given that whole 40 just take it out. I don't want to see it. I don't want to be tempted to say, oh, an emergency arose. I just, let's take care of it right up front. And, you know, I didn't miss a payment that whole three years on anything. I didn't get skinny during that time. I did not go on vacation during that time. Somehow during that three years, God blessed us, and we got through that whole period without any problem. In fact, here I stand eight years later, seven years later, and not only did he meet our needs during that period, but we're building a house debt-free, the dream house that we've dreamed about for years. What am I saying? You can trust God when you hear him. I'm not trying to draw attention to me. I'm just saying I'm not teaching you something that I read in a book somewhere. Some preacher told me I ought to tell you. I'm telling you I've lived this for 45 years, and I am blown away by the blessings in my life, the financial blessings in my life when I've given my life to being a church planter and a missionary, and I've never made a lot of money, and I don't need to make a lot of money. I just need to make sure that I'm thinking long-term in the way I handle the finances God is bringing me. I hope you're hearing this and not seeing as anything other than me just trying to be transparent with you because I believe with everything in me and I want you to be blessed so badly I can taste it. I, I believe that this is the answer to finally breaking out of the poverty trap that so many Christians are in. We finally say, okay, I get it. Whatever amount he's entrusted to me, it's his, and I'm going to invest some of it at least the portion he's challenged me to, I'm going to invest it in eternity. And yes, the math doesn't always work. 90% shouldn't go further than 100%. But it does. It does. Will your math work like mine? I don't know. But here's what I do know, like David, Psalm 37, 25, once I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the godly forsaken nor his children begging for bread. It may be scary, 
but Jesus said that being a risk taker, not foolish risk, calculated risk, trusting God's word, ends in blessing, whether you're a five-bagger or a two-bagger. So I'm praying. Kim and I have been talking and praying now for a couple of weeks, and I'm praying, quite frankly, that I will have the courage next Sunday to bring an offering that demonstrates my focus is on eternity. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that you will, that you'll have the courage to step out Take a step of faith and give in a way that you know God will say to you one day, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to give you more. There's one more character in our story, though, isn't there? There was a five-bagger, there was a two-bagger, and then there was a one-bagger, and the lesson of the one-bagger is security seekers later regret their choices to play it safe. Matthew chapter 25, verse 24 and 5, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Well, he did get one thing right. He recognized who it belonged to. I guess he got two things right, and he didn't lose any of it. What was the master's reply to that? 26, the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. I think he's ticked. You think so? Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver to those who use well what they have been given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, that may not sound fair to you, but it's what the, what's called the law of use and abuse. If you use it properly, what happens? You enhance it. If you go to a gym and work out, not to the point that you injure yourself, but if you do this properly, what happens when you work out? Your muscles grow. If you learn a language and then you use that language, what happens? You become increasingly proficient in that language. If you stop using it, what happens? You lose it. If you use it, you enhance it. If you don't use it, you lose it. that's, That's true with talents. Frankly, it's true in relationships. You invest in a relationship, the, inve- the relationship improves. If you stop investing in it, it starts weakening. That is just, that's just a principle that God built into the universe that we have to be aware of. And i got to close this thing, but hear me say that I guarantee you when this guy got to this point, we talked about regret versus reward last week. When he got to that point, the regrets far outweighed the rewards. Even though he acknowledged the money was the master's, he didn't invest it. Which is why I love the story of the little boy who gave his lunch. Five loaves, two fish, fed 5,000 men plus women and children, gave what he had. He took 12 baskets of food home. That's how God works. So, as we bring this in, I want to challenge you to take a step. In fact, I asked the office to do a little research for me a couple of weeks ago, and they put some numbers together. No names. I have no clue who gives what around here. I don't want to know. Um, 
but I did want a, a sense of what's going on around here. So I asked them to put it together for me. And can we bring that chart up? What Ms. Gale told me, this is just the Princeton location of the church. Uh, we have 409 people on average who give between $1 and $20 a week. 95 people who give between $21 and $40 a week. 105 who give 41 to 80 uh, 84 who give 81 to 150, and on you see through the chart. Find yourself on the chart. Just take a minute. That's the first thing I did. I got the chart. I went, hmm, where am I? Mm, okay, there I am. Next week, take one step. Just take one step. Just say, Lord, I may not have the faith to go from step one to step six, but I'm going to take one step. Take one step toward investing in forever, believing that God will do what he said he would do. That's what I'm doing. I'm asking you to join me next Sunday when we bring our offering fit for a king. Had somebody say to me this week uh, that I've met recently in the community, he said, uh, you know, Pastor, I, I like you. I, I, I want to come hear you preach. Is it all right if I come Sunday? And I started, I started to say, I'm, I'm embarrassed, but I started to say, well, this weekend may not be the best weekend to come because we're talking about money. But I caught the words, and I said, man, we would love to have you come. I don't care where you are in your spiritual journey. God blesses generosity. He just does. And I challenge you today, take a step in his direction. And if you're not on that chart, you're not there, and you're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa Pastor, what are you talking about? I, I, you know, I run out of uh, money before I run out of month every month. I can't even pay my current bills, and you want me to start giving 10%, much less free will offerings? Are you kidding me? I can't do that. Well, then sign up for I was broken, now I'm not. Get in the class and learn how to get your budget together. That's all I'm saying. Take a step of faith that says, God, I understand it's yours. I understand you want me to give back a portion of that, and that's what I want to do. So I'm going to position my life in such a way that I can take those steps of faith. Some of you know Rick, Rick Warren wrote Purpose Driven Life. He's had lots of critics and lots of cheerleaders over the years since then, but he made millions and millions and millions of dollars off of that book. And what did he do? He became a reverse tither. He said, I don't need that kind of money. So he, gave, he now gives 90% and lives on 10%. Wrote a check back to his church for every dollar they ever paid him for pastoring all those years. Why? Because he understood a principle. It's about investing in eternity. I believe that's what God's called us to do. Simply put, let's step out. When the Declaration of Independence was signed by 56 signers in the forming of America, they understood that they were putting their lives, their fortunes, their reputations on the line. And many of those guys not only lost their fortunes, but lost their lives before the Revolutionary War was over. A hundred years ago, the pioneers that founded Whitley Church, that's become the bridge, put their lives and their fortunes and their reputations on the line to develop what has become this place that blesses us all week after week after week and the community and the world. I'm asking you, join me in investing our lives in the church. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it. I'm asking you to do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
for challenging us to the core. We know when we talk about this subject, it can be challenging. It's one thing to talk about sharing our faith or serving or reading our Bibles or having a quiet time. It's one thing to talk about those things that stretch us a little bit, but now we're down to the acid test. Do we really believe what the Bible says? And if I do, what am I going to do about it? So I pray simply in the quietness of this moment that you would speak to each of our hearts in the way that only you can because you know us. You know who the five baggers are right now. You know who the two baggers are. You know who the one baggers are. Would you call us all a step up? Give us a glimpse. We won't see this side of eternity, the full fruit of it, but give us a glimpse of the blessing that we will be in the eternity of so many lives, if we will. And give us the courage to take the steps of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray one more prayer before we go and I want to target it specifically to any of you that are struggling right now. So would you bow your heads with me? It's a private moment. If you're struggling right now, either with finances or believing that what I've said is true, or maybe you're not even sure you have a relationship with the master, the rich man in our story, Jesus, you're struggling with who am I going to give my one and only life to? What am I going to give my one and only life to? Wherever you are, if you're struggling, would you pray with me? Pray a simple prayer, but pray it silently if you like, but pray it. Jesus, help me to trust you. Help me to believe that you really do have my best interest at heart. Help me to believe that if I do life your way, I actually will be blessed more. Help me to trust that's true. And then give me the courage to walk in that truth. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a fresh start today, a new life, a new beginning with you at the center. In Jesus' name, amen. The older workers are coming. They're going to be down front. If you need to pray with somebody today, please take advantage of that opportunity. Just We'd love to pray with you. Anything that's on your heart, you need healing, we'd love to pray with you. Whatever it is you need, we're here. We want to minister to you. God bless you guys. If you didn't get a gold envelope, offering fit for a king envelope last week, stop by the guest center. We've got some more envelopes left. Be sure to pick one up. Next Sunday, we're going to come together. We're going to bring our commitments to the Lord. We believe God's going to do some awesome things. God bless you. See you next Sunday.